We're at the end of the month, the end of 2021. It is time again for this month in birding. Uh, this is the one that will end the year for the American Birding Podcast, a year in which we put out 51 episodes, a new record. I tell you, it, it only felt like 45. Um, I'm excited to bring back some friends, all of whom are returning. It's all very exciting. So let's just get to it in alphabetical order. He is the birdist and the author of the forthcoming ABA Field Guide to the Birds of Maine, which is out early in 2022, I believe. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Nick Lund. Yeah. Welcome, hey, Nick. Hey. You know, that's funny. I've never been alphabetically first in anything. My L is smack in the middle. Yeah. We have so a very uh, caught me uh, off guard late there. alphabet heavy uh, panel this time. Uh, she's one half of the Bird Shite podcast, which will have a new episode out by the time this releases, maybe. Uh, anyway, I hope so. Yeah. I never miss it. And only partly because I help edit it. Uh, hello again, Mo Stike. Hello. Thanks for having me. And last from Portland Audubon, making this an all Portland episode but not all the same Portland. I didn't intend this to be a theme episode, but there you go. Uh, in any case, it is Brody Castell, but hello, Brody. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so this episode, uh, technically speaking, it was being recorded before the big ABA Bird of the Year reveal in Philadelphia uh, this coming weekend, but it will be released after that reveal. So people will be listening to this knowing what the Bird of the Year is. So I think it would be okay if I told you provided that you all agree to embargo that information until Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. I but, have buyers um, lined up. For yeah, a price. Yeah, yeah for that's a right. price. I'll let's, I'll let's, we can I'll talk. Let, we can talk. <laughs> Do you have any idea what the bird might be? We kind of talked, we're talking a little no, bit but, before we started recording about how the bird is chosen. Yeah, I'd like to hold off a second so we can pepper you with some questions and, yeah. as all Mo right. said, learn a little bit about how the sausage is made. That's right. So you, the ABA folks, sit down and you say like, here are the here are the birds we've had recently. Here's uh, you think about like what's something you haven't done or yeah. an air, like what's going to look good. Like what's the thought process? Yeah. So usually every year we have like a short list of uh, birds that we want to choose. Sometimes those birds are birds that we did not choose in previous years. Just stuff that might be fun. You know, the idea of the bird of the year is that it's a bird that essentially just gets people excited. Um, it might be a bird that you see regularly. It might be a bird that you have to make a little bit of an effort to see. It might be a bird that has some sort of tie-in to some sort of conservation thing we're doing, like with EEV. Uh, you know, our 50th anniversary bird of the year was red-billed tropic bird, which is the ABA logo bird. Mm -hmm. um, but most of the time, we're, we're trying to choose a bird that, you know, people, people get excited about, people really like to see. And I think we've done that this year. Uh, it is a bird that is... Uh, you do have to make a little bit of an effort to see it, but okay. it's not super uncommon in most of its range. It's something you can see. And and one of those birds that makes a trip, it really uh, gets mm. people excited, I think. I think, I at least I feel that way about it. And, and you said uh, you, you said the, the artist has created three different posters. Yeah, Christina Ball is the artist, and she has created three different magazine covers. So there will hmm. be three different posters available for sale this weekend. Uh, and on and is shop. that a clue? That that three? Well, sort of. So it is a bird that has two sort of disjunct populations, huh. and uh, they both can be kind of found in different places and and though they do similar things in both of those places but they're they're quite different where the they, birds where the do subspecies similar things live. yeah well i mean it's a bird flap that around does, and yeah flap around stand tweet. stand in places fly <laughs> sometimes eat food. <laughs> eat food yeah you guys have put a lot of thought into this haven't you yeah okay so it's not like california condor 
no, no, too localized. Too localized. localized. Okay. Yeah. Is it is it a bird that like somehow symbolizes what we've all been going through with this pandemic? <laughs> like, is it is it is it a symbol for the sign of the times? You know, it's interesting because we did actually consider that with some bird. Like, wouldn't it be great if we have like a feeder bird or whatever? Because everyone's staring at their feeders for the mm. last year and a half. But no. Or but it Corbin. is. I, I guess if you really wanted to stretch you could probably make it into something like uh, solitary or isolated. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm overthinking it. So I don't want to, you know, further do the coastal, uh, you know, bias thing. Is it, how many of us on this panel have a chance of seeing this bird in our own state this year? Two of us in Maine, one in Oregon. Just you, Brody. Oh, sweet. The pressure's really on. So it is, it is certainly a bird with a more westerly, distribution i love it yeah <laughs> garbage um <laughs> but I'm you out. could I'm you out. could see it in the east in fact there is a population in the east that is quite reliable and it does show up as a vagrant throughout much of the eastern half of the continent there is a population in the east yeah yeah is it like a J of some sort no it's not a J. did we do a perching bird last year no it was a woodpecker last year it's not it's not a perching bird we went ahead and, and yeah, we, we're due for it's a perching bird for 2023. Bird. But yeah. Hmm. Man, there are people out there who are like, I know what uh, it is. Yeah, everyone who listens probably already knows what it is. Uh, they, well, they do. Our live, they watch the live stream. They know. Yeah, we just look like idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially do, do you want to know? What is a bird? I'll just go ahead and tell you. Hit I'm going to post the image in the Google Doc that we all share uh, with notes. And maybe it'll show. Oh, there it is. What? I don't see it. Oh, I was oh. going to say burrowing owl. Burrowing oh, owl. burrowing owl. I was going to say burrowing owl. Ah. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, I was going to. Good choice. Yeah, Good it's choice. A fun bird. It's a fun Great bird. choice. Good choice. <laughs> I actually just taught a class right, on owls. Right, Florida. Uh, I was going to say Florida. Yep. Right. The Florida birds. Dang. Yeah, and this class was supposed to be all about the owls of the rest of Oregon. And I just spent literally half the class talking about burrowing owls because I knew that's what people wanted to hear about. They're they just, they uh, love burrowing owls. Everyone loves burrowing owls. True. Oh, burrowing into my heart, those yeah, guys. For sure. Good choice. Good choice. Yeah. yeah, so we have three pieces of art. This is one of them. Uh, Christina Ball is the artist. And uh, yeah, it's going to be cool. We're very, we're very excited. Do you guys have any good burrowing owl stories or burrowing owl experiences? I have zero, but burrowing owl is among my favorite because I think it's the most like realistic to an actual Pokemon bird. Like it, it looks like it's a very much a little you know? Pokemon bird, just yeah. sticking its little head out. Like yeah, it wins in my book. I, I don't think there is any burrowing owl experience anyone can have that isn't like a pleasant experience. I've never yeah. had an unpleasant burrowing owl experience. Never. True. Yeah, I uh, probably my favorite was I. Um, was down in Buenos Aires, Argentina, which, you know, of course this, like a lot of our owls have like holarctic distributions and this one yeah. is one of the oh, few they're that has all this. The, all the way down to South America is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Something like so 23 I, subspecies. Right. Yeah. L- lots of, uh, yeah, geographic variation. So I was down in, uh, I was birding in uh, La Reserva Ecológica Costanera del Sur. I practice saying that name a lot, mm-hmm. um, which is this really famous sort of, um, reserve right in buenos aires and so i spent the whole morning birding there and it was really great and then my wife and i were just uh hanging out in this park like your typical city park you know like green lawns swing sets kids playing and uh and i look over and there's this little stairway in the park and this burrowing owl is just hanging out 
like in the middle of all these people. And <laughs> there's just so, you know, cause in Oregon, you know, you kind of have to go to like specific places at dusk mm-hmm. and dawn and, and you're out in the middle of some remote dusty desert. And, uh, and here in the middle of this park, there's this burrowing out, just hanging out and looking around, looking really tough, you know, and looking right at me. And then the people would walk their little tiny yippy dogs past it, mm. like three feet away from it. And it would fluff itself up and look really mean <laughs> at them. And the dog would be like, what is going on? And, uh, so I just love, yeah, how they, they're so different across their range too. Yeah. It, that reminds me of experience I've seen in Florida, you know, the famous burrowing owls of Cape Coral, Florida that are like in this neighborhood, like literally there's like these empty lots and people like bury PVC pipes in the ground and the owls use those as the, their nesting holes. And so we were at this park, uh, like and there was this baseball field and there was the fence around the outfield, obviously. And just beyond the outfield fence, there's this little PVC pipe house and these little family of burrowing owls kind of tucked up and hanging out there uh yeah just really cool birds great great birds to show you know novice birders or non-birders because they're just so personable i've been on several trips where that's been the bird of the trip because yep. doesn't matter if they've seen it before doesn't matter if it's rare it's just mm. people enjoy it yep I, I, I run this uh, Google Street View birding group oh, yeah. where people cruise around on Google Street View and try to identify birds. And uh, burrowing owls surprisingly plentiful. I mean, maybe not surprisingly. Yeah. They're, they're diurnal. But um, they're by far the, the most frequently seen owl uh, because they're large distribution and because they're out during the day uh, and because they just look like squat little nuggets that you can easily identify. <laughs> That's right. If you know where a nest hole is, you can just roll up to the Google Google Street View of that area and just put it on there, and there's probably one just hanging out right at the entrance mm-hmm. of the burrow. Love a burrowing owl. So that's our bird of the year. Don't tell anybody until Sunday. Although when this goes out, they'll everyone will already know. I will be texting my friends, but that's okay. <laughs> you can't say. Texting, texting them that I know what the bird of the year is. <laughs> yeah. How nice that your friends want to listen to you talk about birds. <laughs> <laughs> Does that not happen with you, Mo? No, never. <laughs> that's why we have you here. So you get oh, that out. Thanks, get that out. So speaking of burrowing owls, I have a trivia question for you all. Which is, are you familiar with the top eBird hotspot in the United States of America? Is it not Cape May somewhere? Is it Rattlesnake Rattlesnake Springs? (laughs) Yeah, just now because everyone's gone to the Blue Mockingbird. Well, let me just say, one time I I collected all the national parks, which had the most, which national park had the most uh, different birds seen there. And what's where's Rattlesnake Springs again? What part? New um, Mexico. Oh, it's yeah. Carlsbad Caverns. Carlsbad Caverns. Carlsbad yeah. Caverns is number two on the list, all because of Rattlesnake Springs. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's the <laughs> single most largest hotspot in the national park system. Uh, sorry, Brody, for cutting you off and taking over your story. Please continue. <laughs> no, uh, well, Cape May is number two, and I don't know where Rattlesnake Springs fits in there. Uh, but the any other guesses? Uh, like uh, Laguna Atascosa, Point Reyes, Point Reyes, maybe. Both good guesses as well. It's the, yeah, so the number one, uh, according as of this morning, uh, on eBird is Southeast Farallon Island, mm. which. Oh, uh, oh that's, the, man, that's a professional segue, bro. <laughs> <laughs> which, which has uh, 434 species, which, if it was a state, would make it rank 35th out of 50, um, uh, beating out my home state of West Virginia by about 100 birds, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and so speaking of burrowing owls, so um, 
One yeah. of the reasons there's so many birds there is it's on this migratory uh, flight path. You know, lots of birds sort of stop in there on migration. They've got all these incredible birds like uh, red flank blue tail, brown shrike, you know, that sort of stuff. And it's also a huge seabird colony, uh, about a quarter of a million nesting seabirds, including at one point 60 percent of the world's ashy storm petrels. Farallon Island has been in the news this week because of a uh, proposed management plan that has to do with these ashy storm petrels, which are declining. This is an endangered seabird species here uh, in the United States. And the problem that they found is, and and it's, uh, I don't want to throw cold water on our bird of the <laughs> year. Here's our bird of the year. Let's immediately... <laughs> <laughs> start, start but it's not their fault is is the 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 uh upshot of the story that burrowing owls are predating on ashy storm petrels because you know in the northern part of their range they're migratory uh and so as they migrate through they come to the Farallon islands and they find this buffet of house mice which of course are introduced and you know there's about sixty thousand house mice every fall they have these crazy seasonal fluctuations and then the house mouse population crashes uh, in the winter. And so all these burrowing owls that have been, you know, enjoying the uh, unending amount of house mice switch over to ashy storm petrels. It's not their fault. They're sweet, lovable birds that never want to harm another bird. So there's this new proposed management plan that involves dropping grains all over the island that are filled with rodenticide. And the goal is that if they can get rid of all the house mice, then the burrowing owls will just pass through the Farallons and not winter there and not predate on these endangered seabirds. Uh, and of course, you know, anytime anything like this happens, there's always a bit of um, blowback, right? Concern about rodenticides, mm -hmm. what's going to eat the mice after they're dead, or is the rodenticide going to wash off, um, you know, into the sea or all these different concerns. Although I will say that looking it up, it seems like the uh, National Audubon as well as the American Bird Conservancy have both signed off on this plan to try and kill all these mice. Um, but there are still, there's some news stories this week about some opposition. And one of the interesting voices that they put in there was none other than Leon Panetta, the 83-year-old uh, former head of the CIA under Barack Obama. <laughs> So I would just say, the only reason I bring that up is to mention to the people working on the management plan, uh, the walls have ears, only use secured lines. Be careful who you talk to. Well, what was his quote? Was he like, uh, I don't know. Why it are was you very, <laughs> yeah, it was somewhat similar to that. He, I think he's from the Monterey area. So he's been involved in various um, committees about the conservation there. Yeah, it feels uh, a little nimby. NIMBY sort of mm. thing. Oh, you know, we're concerned about dropping the rodenticide. Um, but man, they got to get rid of those those mice. That's a real problem. <laughs> I'm a fan of any get rid of rodents on an island story <laughs> right. that you, you sent to me. It reminds me a lot of, uh, there's a story of a, a snowy owl, a vagrant snowy owl that made it all the way to Bermuda one year. Just kind of set up shop eating the seabirds on Bermuda, including uh, critically endangered Bermuda petrels. And they actually ended up having to go out and, and shoot this snowy owl. Um, 
Bermuda's one and only record of Snowy Owl, uh, which shows that, that, you know, owls are, they'll take advantage of whatever's in front of them. I mean, one of the more uh, unpopular actions that's being taken in Oregon is oh, we're right. trying to save northern spotted owls. And mm. they have found that even if you stopped cutting down any more old growth trees forever, they would still go extinct because of the now invasive barred owls. But barred owls are really cute and beloved and people do not like to hear the ideas they have for trying to save northern spotted owls yeah and I get owls, it. owls are tough with that because i think it's the forward facing eyes everyone looks at them and they think that they're like almost the most human of birds because they have faces no one wants to hear that they're bloodthirsty killers if they're given the chance i will say that the picture they chose for this particular burrowing owl on the site like makes it look so menacing and the caption just says <laughs> Burrowing owls are very cryptic, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. oh, way to go! I'm glad that uh, this is the bird of the year. Very cryptic, and we are, apparently, we are, we are cryptic. That's why we chose it. Loves eating other birds, <laughs> but only when there's no mice around. Yeah. Only when there are no mice. Have they thought of bringing in more mice? Is my question. <laughs> it's right to tide the owls over. <laughs> right. There was actually another story about the involving mice on an island uh, that came out of the inaccessible islands in the South Atlantic, like Gau, Gau Island. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's G-O-U-G-H. And they, there was this big effort to remove house mice from that island that ended up, I think they using rodenticide, and it ended up being unsuccessful, or at least not totally successful. So, you know, every time that you, you know, you may decimate the mice population, but those 10% that are still going to be around are going to end up breeding like crazy eventually mm-hmm. and end up this kind of this kind of constant you know treadmill to use and they animals. love the taste of rodenticide after that's that right. they the love it yeah, yeah that's right. just makes them stronger <laughs> can't that's get enough right. of it <laughs> there was they did mention there was another uh example of this being done up in um Alaska it was called like it has some horrible name like rat island Oh yeah, uh, and, there's actually an Aleutian Island called Rat Island. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it killed off some birds, right? When they killed off all mm-hmm. the rats, but then they found that after a while, there's more birds there than there ever were when the rats were there. So they're you know, sort of a you have to break some eggs to make an omelet, sort of argument. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my you know non scientific opinion on this, I you know I say you got to keep trying. Every attempt is worth it if you can clear these islands. They're so ecologically important. Um, that, you know, even if it doesn't work first time or if you, uh, you know, it doesn't work perfectly, that the upside is so crucial, uh, whether it's sort of uh, mosquitoes in Hawaii or rats on islands or all invasives in New Zealand. And I think um, you know, learning about what works and what doesn't work and perfecting our abilities to uh, remove invasive species is like a big deal in the future. I, I think part of the thing that complicates this too is that burrowing owl is an endangered species in Canada, where presumably a lot of these birds are migrating from. Right. But there's there's no easy choices in uh, conservation. Yeah, that seems to be the case for sure. Um, all right, so there is this article that came out of or I, I grew up saying Oregon, but I know it's Oregon. So just don't hate me, Brody. Uh, as long as you only pronounce it correctly going forward, we're all good. <laughs> okay, then we're good. <laughs> they stole Portland from us. You know, we can pronounce it whatever we want. <laughs> this is true. This is true. This place on the West Coast. <laughs> One of um, the three states. There was this story about this crow that showed up at this elementary school and knew quite a few words. 
including <laughs> many swear words to the delight of many fifth graders. And <laughs> they weren't really sure like where this crow came from. And also it's kind of funny because there's a picture of the crow like wearing a hat. Yeah. But the article is like, we don't know if it's a crow or a raven. I'm like, well, you have a picture of it. Like, it's not, it's not that <laughs> well, hard. Diff- ravens don't wear hats. Ravens don't they're, wear hats? They're point. too cool for hats. Yeah. yeah. They would wear like backwards baseball hats. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this was right a top hat. So <laughs> I will say Definitely the fish angle a- lens made it a little bit weird looking. Anyways. It's a ahead. disorienting <laughs> photograph. <laughs> it is. For a lot, it's like, for a lot of reasons. For a number of ways, yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways, and then the article kind of goes on to like talk about this long story about like where the crow came from, how it learned all these words, how it ended up at the school. They think that the crow recognized somebody, like a neighbor, going into a car. And so basically the crow like used to live in this person's house or not in the house, but like on their property. They like rehabilitated it. And then it like got out and it was like wandering around Oregon, this little city in Oregon, um, and ended up at the school because like somebody's car went to the school and they recognized the car. This It's like this whole thing. But what I love is this part in the story where the one of the people who owned the crow was like, yeah, it was going to Planet Fitnesses and just sitting on the roof and asking people for me. And I'm like, this crow knows <laughs> that you work out at Planet Fitness. Like, yeah, crow's watching you. Making yeah, sure that it must you work be, out at Planet Fitness. Must be a very um, no skimping. Yeah, a very strong personality trait of this owner. <laughs> but uh but anyways, ended up at the school and started hanging out in this fifth grade classroom because they were feeding it snacks, which is a very logical um thing to do, I think. Uh and so they ended up the kid the one of the kids from the class like went home and told their dad about it and they were like, Oh, I definitely know whose crow that is, and they were able to get the crow back. After forty five minutes of feeding the crow sardines, they were able to <laughs> capture it and bring it back to where it belonged but it is worth noting that capturing wild animals and trying to keep them as pets is not recommended this is definitely one of those special instances of you know the crow was hurt and rehabilitated by people who then took care of it and usually with those situations they're like oh this animal's not fit to live in the wild on its own it's like this crow obviously did fine like it knew where to get food it was able to obtain a lot of goldfish and other (laughs) peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and whatever else those kids fed it but um, yeah, so not not a story that's like, hey, take a note of this and make sure to bring this into your life. But definitely, I, I love a good bird that swears. Like, yeah. oh, those never get old to me. <laughs> I liked uh, Kaylee Swift's response to it on Twitter. She's got a great thread yes. about it. And it's yes. very similar. So, you know, obviously, Portland Audubon were sort of a statewide organization and we actually had our holiday party last night and i was talking to some folks there and they were including our comms team and so the story came up about the crow my friend ali was like you know yeah it happened and and i think that we all have that urge to be that person but we don't always have to be that person you know that's like (laughs) it's illegal and don't smile it's not good uh because i definitely had that response on one friend's uh facebook and uh and i was like you know what it's been a tough year we should let people have the crow. We just. <laughs> I think this crow should have been the the bird of the year. Bird. <laughs> just like, this, just crow. this one, Cosmo. This guy, the crow. Cosmo, Cosmo the crow. Cosmo the crow with his with little hat. hat. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. hat really completes it. I, I'm sure your artist would do a great job of depicting this hat. <laughs> this crow clearly, as you say, Mo had like a foot in both worlds in like the human world and the crow world. Like it was, as you say, like it was doing okay. And Mm -hmm. if there's any bird that's going to be somewhat habituated to humans and still also sort of find a way to make it in the wild, it's going to be a crow because they're already, they're already there anyway. 
You know, oh, yeah. this is just a crow that knows how to talk to people and say important words. Yeah. <laughs> what percentage of pet birds that are able to talk do you think know swears? Probably like 90%. Yeah. Like what I else are you the impulse to teach a talking bird swears is is probably too great for most people to. to yeah, probably, it's a much yeah. more common word. My we I grew up growing up I had a bird when I was a really little we had a cockatiel. Um uh, named Larry Bird. We were Celtics fans at the time. Yes. Yeah. We wanted we wanted to get another one called Robert Parrot. Like Robert <laughs> Parrot. Um, but we, uh, my dad taught it to to do that. That like wolf whistle thing mm-hmm. to, to women. Like when women would come by only. <laughs> oh so it was like God. this sort of pervy little cockatiel. This cockatiel is canceled. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> he would not have survived <laughs> not have in today's it. climate. No. <laughs> he also didn't survive the dog that ate him. But <laughs> RIP uh, RIP Larry. My 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 wife's Larry. dad, my father in law, is uh, a veterinarian, was a veterinarian for a long time. And of course veterinarians frequently get like animals that people don't want. Mm. And um my wife would tell the story of an Amazon parrot that they were given. They had him for a long time, and he would curse, like just curse at people. I F you, F you. Uh, <laughs> which my, my wife's family thought was hilarious. It uh, is hilarious it also. Is sort of funny. But um, they ended up having to donate it. I think they donated it to a local zoo. Uh, so, Can you imagine? Could, but they couldn't put the parrot on display because it would curse yep. at the people <laughs> who would come by. <laughs> They should have sold it to like a bar or something. Yeah, like right. Yeah. Bird, a sort of the place. bouncer. Yeah, yeah, a bouncer bird. Bouncer yes. parrot. Yeah. To try and redeem myself for my grinchiness that I displayed earlier, I you know I think one of the reasons we're a little uh, sensitive about it perhaps is that we so at Portland Audubon we have an education uh, uh, common raven. That okay. Somebody. That's cool. Know, yeah. Somebody raised uh, on their own. You know, I think they found it as a fledgling or something. And it's this, you know, big bird, right? And it's it's by far the hardest bird to take care of. It it can take out chunks of skin uh, pretty easily when it's in a bad mood, which is often. They're these incredibly, you know, active minds and they're um and they're just they're very hard to keep entertained essentially yeah but yeah. it's when you walk by it's it's very the, the, it doesn't know any swear words uh but when you walk by it will often you'll say you know its name is aristophanes so everybody says hi ari and then it just looks at you and says hi ari and it's very kind of <laughs> um, i don't know there's just a, it's very existential weirdness going on when you talk yeah to that seems bird. like a raven thing i think that's sort of like the fundamental difference between in personality between a raven and a crow is that i would expect a raven to be like just meaner and uh, gruffer, where a crow would be sort of friendly and happy-go-lucky. Besides the hat, that's how I would tell a raven and a crow apart. I think Ari just wants a hat. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, good luck to anybody who tries to uh, give Ari a hat. That's, <laughs> that's hat one of the things that Kaylee said in Crow or No was, you know, if this was a raven, this raven would be terrorizing these children. It's right. Like, it's probably true. <laughs> yeah. It would exactly. not be a happy ending story. <laughs> They would strike Edgar Allan Poe from the curriculum as a result of the terror. That's that right. No one's learning down on these children. No more. We'll never ravens. say this word again. <laughs> never more. Never more. Twenty twenty one. What a year! What a year! 
what are we going to look look a pretty crummy overall i would say right are we going to yeah. look back on as a favorite year probably not no anyone or pilot woodpecker stars. the 2021 bird of the year it's it's poor billion woodpecker it's the lone year. bright shining spot in <laughs> the dim glumness of 2021 yeah. Yeah. but i am feeling a little optimistic i don't know what's going on it's tr- truly i am feeling hopeful despite constant tidal waves of bad news <laughs> coming across every form of things that i look at any window or screen i look at just bombards me with bad news but i i uh i do feel like uh we should take a moment to remember some good things yeah um it's been uh, Audubon.org released this um, top wins for birds and people in 2021 uh, list. And uh, it's worth looking at that to remember like, hey, nice. we are we have done some good things and we are continuing to do some good things in the future. Um, and it's a long list. You scroll through this webpage; It takes forever. Um, good things are happening and we are working towards good things despite the forces of evil working against us. Um, we have a new federal administration this year, and I know that people like to complain about that as soon as it gets going, but it's only been a year, and it is so much better than the previous administration. I'm sorry about for the inv- birds and the environment. It's just the truth, and I want to just like think about that a little bit. Migratory Bird Treaty Act was gutted uh, before, which is a huge law that we use to protect our birds, uh, which uh, essentially under the previous administration's changes would allow them to just um, basically wholesale kill birds if it wasn't their like direct intention to do so. That's not good. And that's not what the law is supposed to be. And the Biden administration has flipped that and corrected that. Like that's a big deal. Uh, had things gone the other way last year, uh, we'd still be stuck in that mess. So that's good. Similarly, and this hits a little more closer to home here in Maine, um, I was really pleased at the National Monument restorations. So mm-hmm. previous administration sort of got rid of a couple monuments, a couple in Utah, Grand Staircase, and Bears Ears. Uh, and then out here, a, a um, an ocean monument called Northeast Canyons and Seamounts, uh, which is only recently sort of discovered to be a really important wintering area for puffins and other seabirds. Um, uh, so it was like it was designated under, by Obama and then removed and now replaced. And it's critically important moving forward. I should also remind that uh, my other main newly created national monument, Katahdin Woods and Waters, was at one point early in the Trump administration considered for sort of, you know, removal or something. Not going to happen anymore. It's still around. I've been there. I've burned it all over. Place rules. So there are good things happening. I don't know. Do other people have others they want to share or other things they want to talk about or just any sort of optimistic note as we plow forward into the gloomy December. Uh, I really like this, uh, the fact that this list included a lot of kind of local conservation initiatives too, like state conservation initiatives that I didn't know about. Things like uh, saving 100% of tricolored blackbird colonies in, mm-hmm. in Audubon, California. That's really cool. Uh, here in North Carolina, one of the last privately owned undeveloped barrier islands was uh, protected, uh, at least until the ocean takes it back. Lesser prairie chicken, a lot of stuff done. Lesser prairie chicken. In South Carolina, there was the uh, restoration of the crab bank, which uh, is not a savings and loan for arthropods, despite my first impression of it. It's <laughs> actually a name of an island. But it can um, be. It could be. Oh. Well, crabs don't use banks. They bury their mm. money in the, in, the, in the sand. Fair um, enough. They don't trust um, institutions. Lots of really cool stuff in here. Thanks, Nick, for bringing it to our attention. I think we we tend to focus on the bad things. Obviously, that is what 
I think we're sort of predisposed to do that a lot of the time, but there's a lot of really good positive conservation, bird conservation news that's come out in 2020. And it's nice to see it all in one place. Yeah, truly. It's important to remember. And it just shows, you know, that a lot of these efforts, these conservation efforts, grassroots efforts work. I mean, in in Oregon, Mm -hmm. we uh, finally heard the final death knell for the proposed uh, liquefied natural gas uh, export Mm. center, um, the Jordan Cove project, which, you know, environmentalists have been fighting for a long time and they finally put the nail in the coffin. We're you know excited about that. And it's, yeah, it's good to remember that, uh, we've got a lot of big challenges, but, but there's, uh, yeah, conservation efforts work and they're important. Another thing, speaking of grassroots that I, I try to not get into the politics of this, but it's interesting <laughs> that Audubon didn't mention the Audubon for all movement and the fact that Audubon now has a union yeah, for their and employees, it's spreading to the which, States as well. Yeah, which like I think is amazing news. Apparently, it wasn't good enough to make their list of best 2021 <laughs> articles that are good for birds. It's but <laughs> I, I think that's an amazing move. I mean, that was totally all grassroots with the people at Audubon mm-hmm. who were doing that hard work to to make that happen. And I mean, better advocates within the organization are better advocates for birds. So I think that's just that's that to me was like a really feel good story coming out of this year. Indeed. I got to shout out my friends at a group called Delta Windbirds, um, who it says in the Mississippi Delta, Northwest Mississippi, an underbirded area for sure. Um, they work to support uh, migratory shorebird habitat by working with farmers to keep their fields flooded at certain levels when, when shorebirds are passing through. They had an incredible year. Uh, they're uh, building a boardwalk in this place called Sky Lake that are bringing the public out. Like it's there is a lot of good conservation work and success is happening. The news favors bad stuff. It really does. Um, mm-hmm. And makes us, you know, uh, want to think about the bad stuff. But if you dig a little bit in this Audubon article or even in your neighborhoods or a- anywhere, there is a lot of good stuff happening. So I want that's the energy I want to take into 2022. For sure. And, uh, you know, like thinking along those lines, um, there was also this article that uh, we, we didn't talk about in depth, but also this, this story of the Colorado family, um, changing their cattle ranch, uh, getting uh, Audubon to certify their ranch as bird friendly and selling carbon sequest- sequestration. I always get that word. Words, mixed man. Up. Se- yeah. Sequestration. 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 Yeah. Sequest. Um, yeah. You know, protecting birds like uh, golden eagle and black rail and all sorts of really cool stuff uh, on their lands. It's kind of a new way for people who are landowners in the West to work with um, agencies and nonprofits to, to, to pr- protect habitat, which I think is such, is such a huge aspect of conservation. You know, sometimes we talk a lot about climate change and things like that. And obviously that's a huge concern, but habitat conservation is just massive, massive. You know, the biodiversity loss is real and whatever we can do to protect those sorts of habitats is, is, is definitely in our benefit and the bird's benefit. Um, but that was a really cool story as well. Uh, lots of good stuff going on. Yeah. I was really impressed with that story. Um, I, I just thought that, um, it's great. You hear sometimes about these programs that are set up, but you rarely hear about the actual place on the ground that's yeah. implementing it and, and building these wins. I mean, this, this ranch sounds like it went through the Rolodex of every program that was out there and, and learned yeah. from all of them. And it's created a really sort of impressive working model for um, how conservation and, and uh, you know, private agriculture can work together. Uh, I also did want to point out, I don't know if you read the article, one of the women was qu- quoted, I think she was one of the scientists who visited the ranch for the first time. She said it was a poop your pants moment, which I feel like in retrospect, is, she's probably like, it's probably not the quote I wanted in that, in that <laughs> article. I should have said something else. They jumped out to me too. Yeah. I, 
when you get interviewed when you get interviewed by those sort of media outlets uh and you give like the big 15 20 minute conversation and then they pull (laughs) one one statement and that's the one i feel for you know the back at the office like so we got the media clips in today and i don't know maybe you want (laughs) to Let's talk tomorrow. <laughs> off the cuff or off the yeah. record, but yeah. this is a poop my pants moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. Though. I love that honesty. I also yeah. love that the person who did this, um, Dallas mate, he's 63. Like not the kind of cattle farmer I would expect to be so progressive. Like I think that's, yeah. that is, that is the light that I need going into 2022. Yeah. It makes me wonder, you know, there's, there's, there've been a lot of stories about how, you know, farming just in general is sort of a dying industry, all these kind of family farms getting bought out by, by big agricultural conglomerates and and the issues with that. And, you know, people who are growing up in farming families, not wanting to stay on the farm and then they go off and do other things. Um, It's great to see people who are farmers, you know, even if that their farm is not going to be sort of maintained as that farm for generations and generations, at least putting the work in to make sure that that place is beneficial for generations and generations, uh, instead of just selling out to a you know ConAgra or whatever. Right. And, and a lot of farmers are seeing things change pretty rapidly yeah. in Oregon on the east side of the mountains where it's really dry. You know, a lot of cattle farmers, um, mm-hmm. ranchers are are noticing that there's not enough rain. We're in such a big drought. There's not enough. Um, rain to bring up the grasses that the cattle need so it's you're losing money keeping cattle there's not enough rain Mm -hmm. for the dry Mm -hmm. wheat farming that we're doing and so i think you know funding some of these conservation easements and alternatives um are really important and so it's nice to see that uh, approach highlighted because that's going to be uh you know an important thing i think going forward just on a dollars and cents level for a lot of yeah a lot of landowners in the united states yeah make it make sense to them to do this and uh You'd be surprised that a lot of them will make those decisions. Yeah. In Maine, solar development is is part of that equation. And mm-hmm. there's pros and cons to that too. But it, mm-hmm. it's giving people another um, option that's not subdivision or, yeah, right. you know, something like that. Landfill. Yeah. Um, one of the places that I bird in my home county has a big um, big solar farm sort of nearby. Uh, not not always too many birds there, but I guess it's, it beats it beats the alternative. <laughs> Yeah, and beats a fossil fuel plant. Yeah. yeah. It's the holiday season, and I think uh, all of us are birders and our families and friends all know that we are interested in birds. Uh, so what that means frequently is a lot of gifts that are related to birds, some of which are more useful than others, some of which are more memorable than others. And so my question of the month to you, and I actually I, I posted this on uh, online as well, so I'll read some of the questions that I, the responses that I got from, from Twitter, but, um, what is the, the best or worst or both holiday bird related gift that you have ever received? Well, I'll just start out by saying that I don't think my sister listens to this podcast. So, uh, (laughs) so yeah, so I, I, one Christmas got a t-shirt and it, you know, in big letters on the front, it says, uh, easily distracted by birds. And I look over and she's got this big smile on her face. And I was like, no, this is not funny. I'm not going to wear this. <laughs> it may be accurate, but it's not funny. <laughs> right. It's like, it's not that it's a bad, I don't see other people walking down the street wearing that shirt and saying, that's a bad shirt. Uh, but I was just like, it's, it's like how in Portland, Oregon, we don't really watch, uh, or laugh at the jokes as much in Portlandia because it's just <laughs> a little bit too on the nose mm-hmm. and uh, doesn't, you know, evoke the serious 
energy I put into birding or my terrible attention span. Um, gives that a little <laughs> unrelated. Those credit. are just unrelated. <laughs> unrelated. Yeah. All right. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, that bird flew by your window. I saw that. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it, yeah, it's a bad place to have the have the uh, computer. What was your best? Um, my best. So uh, also doesn't listen to the podcast, but my brother, not trying to start a sibling rivalry here, <laughs> gave me the Birds of Oregon reference guide which is this like 130 pound book that uh, is far too heavy to actually ever get off of the shelf. But just being in the same room as it, I feel this sort of warmth. I feel smarter for having yeah. it on my bookshelf. It's just one of those books that's like, you know, it's terribly dry, but it's just, there's everything that I would ever want to know conceivably would be in there. But um, yeah, one of those books you're gonna grab on your way out the house when the tornado wildfire comes. <laughs> yeah, I think books just generally, uh, for the most part, are uh, very popular birder gifts and always seem to make it on the on the Not best me. of. No, you don't like books? Books, well, there's, a very, on the book, I guess. there's a very specific <laughs> type of book that I get from well-meaning relatives, which is the Gigundus photo book that's the, like yeah, 75 pounds yeah. called like the feathered world or something <laughs> that they found that you know, was being thrown out of some library because one. it was like breaking the shelves <laughs> and it's like uh, i have like 15 of them and i you know i need to like repair the walls of my house because they're they are being like weighed down by the shelves with these books on it is what i'm trying to say um those are my least favorite because it's just a bird it's a burden you know if it's just socks then at least it's just a pair of socks, but one of these big, huge, beautiful, admittedly, but uh, uncarryable and burdensome photo books are my least favorite. So about so, that yeah. book that you're writing. Yeah. It's a tiny one. That's a back <laughs> pocket. <laughs> back pocket. Very useful. Also beautiful. 2022 best bird book of the year. Easy. Yeah. 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 My best. I don't know. Gloves. I like getting gloves. <laughs> yeah. So I always I lose gloves, so yeah. it's always nice to have, have like a constant pair, a constant never supply have too many of gloves. gloves. Yeah, Plus, fair. using yeah. binoculars with mittens, like I always try to do it, and it never works. It never works. Yeah, never, I can't ever. do can't can't do the dial. Well, have you have you birded in the cold without gloves? You're out there Ooh, and uh, just freezing, or vice versa. A little pro tip: mosquitoes around. Put some gloves on, then you can have your hands out without mosquitoes biting oh, you. Gloves work in all seasons. All season gloves. Nick, did you have a best, you, uh, a best bird gift? Yeah, gloves for me. Gloves, just <laughs> yeah. okay. That was gloves. Yeah, I mean, are there other? Any, I mean, uh, uh, I don't know. I've gotten a lot of good stuff. You know, bird bird gifts are hard. I will. I will. So my son is into. He's three. He's into uh, Matchbox cars right now. Mm-hmm. Matt, oh, what I a gift! That. You can just toss. They're a yeah. dollar each. I can toss them a million Matchbox cars. Winner. Yep. Birding. You know, no one's going to buy me binoculars. Uh, <laughs> You know, so it's kind of there's not really much else to it. So it's, I do grant that it's a little challenging as a gift giver to to uh, have someone's hobby be birding. But um, I don't know time. There's a there's a meta one time. Someone gives me a day <laughs> off to go birding. That's a huge gift. Yeah, I don't understand the concept of time anymore, but that sounds yeah. pleasant. <laughs> I feel like I, I'm I somebody Nick, I think you said socks like I have so many bird socks like so many people have given me socks with birds on them and like at first i was like oh my god this is amazing and i'm like 
wait, is this like the thing that I'm going to get forever? <laughs> People make like, a lot of birding socks. There's a lot of like them out there. so many birding socks. But then I actually had this pair that was super cute. It had like these birds around the ankle with these people with binoculars like looking up. on. The I have feet. those. I love Somebody those posted socks. those on Twitter Someone too. Those are famous. Those, on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. those are those are the only birding socks worth getting. Like those are the socks. Like if you're going to, if you need to buy a pair of socks for the birder in your life, Get those socks. So Mo yeah. and uh, Kelly Ball at uh, Balia Balia Bing, and uh, Frank is a Gary, my colleague at the ABA, also has those socks. So they are well distributed. Yeah. Among I have somehow zero birding socks, and if I have any siblings that do listen to this, I am <laughs> in need of a pair. So for next get year, on maybe. it. Yeah. Get on it. Those socks for me came in a pack. Another one was a a conductor guy. Uh, conducting like a Don Chorus type with all these birds oh, nice. chattering. Yeah. Um, cool. And one was Blue Jays, I think. It's a, it's a nice little, if you can find it, that's a good gift. Yeah. Wow, the trifecta. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sock trifecta. Uh, I don't know about, the problem that I have, it's not a bad gift, but I always end up with like bird stickers and patches and I'm like, but I have nothing to put these things on. Yeah. Like I'm not cool mm. enough to put patches on a jean jacket. Like I don't, I don't have that kind of aura to me. And like the water bottle is maxed out with stickers already of my own podcast, which I'm apparently heavily promoting on my water bottle, but it's like, I don't know what to do. So they're not bad gifts, but they're like, they're just sitting in my cabinet with all the other stickers that I don't know what to do with. Yeah. Yeah. Stickers are a challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the millennial version of having a vest, right? Like, like the the previous generation yeah. had a vest to put all your patches on. We just need like sandwich boards when we go birding with all of our birding <laughs> stickers. Yeah. On them. yeah, that should be that. We should totally make that a trend in twenty twenty two. Sandwich like, board, oh, sandwich board check out that sandwich board. That ooh, out. nice. Yeah, Look at all those stickers. Yeah, I, yeah. Maybe maybe someone needs to buy me like a bird sticker book, and maybe that hmm. would be my best gift if I could obtain yeah. that. I, I grew up snowboarding and it's it's you know oh, really cool to yeah. put stickers on your snowboard and that was a great yeah. place to put stickers it's but now sticker I still culture. snowboard but I don't it it seems weird to have like bird stickers on your snowboard a little bit um <laughs> so I just start putting them on my lawnmower like making patterns <laughs> it's sort of like an adult yeah. adult have a cool lawnmower pattern of stickers you got to do something with them cuz you're right you they gotta just do it. sit yeah. around I love, yeah I have them on my my laptop um, yep. but then I, I lost a laptop a few years ago and it had a lot of good stickers on it. So I was kind of mad about that, but the, you know, laptops wear out and then you lose all the stickers and then right. you get a new one. And now my new one is not nearly as decorated. And then, uh, is that, a, do you want stickers? Do you want people to send you stickers? That's what that was. I mean, really? I like a sticker. I mean, I'm not going to use it all the time, but I have stick, I like podcast stickers and stuff that I give out to people and people seem to like that. So, and ABA stickers. Mm-hmm. I have my water bottle, like you know, the, the usual places that you put stickers. I'm looking forward to a Burrowing Owl sticker on my coffee cup. There you go. There you go. Oh, yeah. Put it on my yep. phone. Bird of the yep. year. What about phone. you, Nate? Best worst. Um. So, I, you you said time, Nick. Um. I used to get my wife actually uh, early when we were when we were married. We, she uh, used to give me. Uh, gift certificates to pelagics out of hatteras yeah so brian pattison would do like a gift like you could buy a pelagic for the holidays and then redeem it uh you know in the spring when you want to go out and so she would Huge. just give me give me a pelagic trip Huge. and then i could buy another one and i could have two pelagic trips then go out in two days and it was it was awesome um, so those are really good that just reminded me my husband actually gave me a gift last year to go see the puffins in maine and 
Oh no! Who has time when you have a baby? Like that's true. We never Between used the pandemic it. and a baby, you're oh, kind of in a in a bad way. The puffins probably loved it, but I did not. Yeah. Well, it's still good, right? Those don't go bad. I'm hoping. I'm gonna yeah. plead desperate and say, "Let me see the puffins." <laughs> yeah, go go see the puffins, and you know, various t-shirts and tchotchkes, um, you know, tins with uh, birds on them. Uh, mm, tins. You know, Tins, yeah. I don't know oh what people God. are doing with tins. I, I don't have anything to put I in need tins. N- zero tins in my Goodwill's life. Goodwill's yeah. finest. I'll uh, I'll throw some uh, some some suggestions from from the Twitter feed that actually got some good response. Um, Birder Katie said got uh, a week birding in Florida from her parents, so that's wow. cool. Yeah, that's love a birding that's trips. That's a gigantic that's a gift. gift. Congratulations yeah. to Birder yeah. Katie. Uh, a pocket lens cleaning kit as a stocking stuffer. Yep. Great little stocking stuffer. I can never have too many of those microfiber cloths around. I'm always losing those. It's good to have them in various drawers around the house. Um, and she mentions that his her dad made a scroll saw vulture, uh, which there are photos Oh, yeah, that was cool. It's very cool. Uh, Ethan Barron had the little Audubon tweet bird collar, the little squeaker. I think uh, many of us have gotten that many, many, many times. Um, I never, I've never used it actually. <laughs> we need to go out and use it. I, I, yeah. I don't know anyone who's ever actually used it, but it, it could work, right? Yeah, I mean, theoretically, it works, right? They wouldn't make it if it didn't work, or maybe they wouldn't. I'm sure know. whoever made those things is just like cursing the Merlin app every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, smartphones really ruin the market for little squeakers. <laughs> yeah, um, let's put the factory shut down. Yeah, it's putting up the close sign. Merlin, sad. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I'm imagining like you know one of those you know old timey factories with a guy hanging up the closed closed sign, yeah. and shaking his head. Yeah, the smokestack is going, then it cuts yeah, off it and cuts shuts off. down all the, all the employees. Yeah. Uh, Joe Moore at more to, more Joe to go says every year for the last several years he's gotten a copy of at the Effin Birds uh, book which was fine the first time, but he started giving away extras to other birders. There's something you can do with all those books. Do you give those, do you give books away? It's hard for me to give books away, but. I use them as ballast in ships. That's how heavy they are. <laughs> Keith Rorigan says, uh, birding hats. He has a winter mm-hmm. birding hat and a summer birding hat. I think it goes along the way, uh, to the, to the clothing. Clothing's always appreciated. Gloves, a good pair of socks, like yeah. a good pair of hiking socks. I do like that. Shout out Bird Collective making cool yeah. birding clothing. Absolutely. Companies. Holy cow, yeah. For sure. sure. They don't make bird clothing that makes fun of my attention span. We actually, our latest episode is about about the birds that are on grandma's sweatshirts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, wait, Bird Collective is like making a gazillion dollars off of this entire concept. But I'm so happy about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, something lasts long enough. It comes back as ironic and then everyone wants it again. Uh, and Ben, Ben Sanders says uh, the best was a bird feeder that electrocutes squirrels with a push of a button, which, you know, I'll be honest, I'm not sure how I feel about that's, that. That's a, little, that's a little insane. <laughs> I've always wondered on the East Coast how you feel about the squirrels because here we only have invasive squirrels at our feeders. So it's like sort of a mm. double punch, you know? And um, yeah. I am not, I don't think that that's necessarily humane, but I can understand the the point of it. Why do you only have invasive don't you There's way more squirrel type animals where you are than where I am. Why don't they come to your feeders? Yeah, we, we've got uh, one of them, you know, the Douglas, we have some native tree squirrels, but. Um, they are more habitat dependent. And so uh, they tend mm, to be not like suburbs. Yeah. Mm. So they're more in forests or in Oak Savannah, which we've cut all those down. So um, 
Yeah, all of our we have eastern gray squirrels and fox squirrels. That's all we get. Part of the reason I stopped feeding birds was because I just got tired of of all my suet going to the to the gray squirrels because they loved it so much. Um, I went through. I bought that hot pepper suet that you can buy at bird stores, and that keeps them off for a couple of weeks, and then they get a taste for it. And then I started making my own suet and just like dumping bottles of hot sauce in it while I made it, and then they would eventually get a taste for that. Like that's none of that stuff ever lasts. And so I eventually admitted defeat and uh, stopped stopped feeding. Going a step even further, a friend of mine worked at you know one of the backyard bird shops and eventually quit because he described his entire job as telling people how to keep squirrels out of their feeders. And like after a couple of years, it's like, I'm out. I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I, 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 I want to work at a bird shop, not a squirrel shop. Right. Call, call the pest control. Can I make another recommendation on clothing? Please. Uh, I, I'm a fan of sort of reappropriating um, bird theme sports team logo wear as bird clothing. Right. So like, there are a couple of cool teams out there with logos that are that are just birds. Um, the San Diego Gulls hockey team has some cool like hockey sweaters that just say gulls on them, which is pretty cool, especially because yeah. you're a birder. I mean, if you're into gulls, like you're really into gulls. Um, so that's cool. I wear they uh, I wear a Myrtle Beach Pelicans hat, which is just a picture of a pelican on it, which looks kind of cool. And so for some sort of creative thinking gift givers out there, there may be some opportunities in, uh, in bird themed clothing for, for the major leagues. It's really the, if you can give like a classic Baltimore Orioles hat with like the full Oriole logo, that's about as good as it gets Toronto blue Jays as well. Um, Don't give Atlanta Hawks or Atlanta Falcons um, for a number trying. of reasons. They're, They're not, not even trying. trying. Yeah. I do have to shout out to Portland Winterhawks who recently changed their old racist logo to to a hawk, which unfortunately they describe as a red-tailed hawk, even though it's a winter hawk that looks like a rough-legged hawk. They kind of missed a little bit well, there. Yeah, it should be. I was going to say a rough-legged hawk should be a winter right. hawk. Mm. It looks just like, like a rough winter hawk. But they yeah. still get a little bit of props for uh, changing to full bird as opposed to like full it. racism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Always a good transition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, I want to thank you all for joining me, uh, Brody, Nick, and Mo. Please check out all their stuff online. Uh, Mo should have a new podcast out uh, soon. And of course, Nick's book is coming out uh, early sometime next I think March is the goal. March, March. Very good. March for merch. Um, Yeah, so thank you all for joining me. And I hope you have a a happy holidays and uh, a great new year. And uh, we'll see you again. We'll see you again in 2022. Thanks, Nate. I'll see you in December of 2022, apparently. Yeah, right. (laughs) So next time I'll be invited on. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, everybody. (laughs)